friends, you can earn CEUs for listening to this podcast. It's such an easy way to learn on the go. Check out speechtherapypd.com slash SUP and enter my promo code SUP to get $10 off a year's subscription. With weekly podcasts, you'd never have to worry about getting enough hours again. Can we say ACE Award? Like, for sure. (laughs) Plus, you can join me for the live CEUs and ask me and my guests questions directly. We broadcast the CEU every Monday evening, and I love engaging with my CEU participants. Hello, this is the Speech Uncensored podcast, your unvarnished look into the medical speech and language pathology field. I am Leanne Porter, a cisgender woman who uses she, her pronouns. Today's episode is a thoughtful examination of how to prepare voice clinicians to support speakers along the gender spectrum. Today is a unique episode where I have three guests instead of one. It is with utmost pleasure and honor that I introduce you to the wonders of Christy Block, Leah Hello, and Sandy Hirsch. Listen up, friends, because we are in for a treat. We are also navigating some sensitive topics, but you can be assured that you have three experienced and savvy captains at the helm. And let me tell you guys, I am so here for this. I'm really excited. So let's get into it. All right. Welcome, everybody. It is such a delight to have all three of you joining me for my first, like, full session episode podcast with a group. And this is really thrilling. I'm super stoked to have each one of you joining me. And I'm really excited to learn more about our topic today. So I don't want to give anything away because I want you guys to have all your thunder. I don't want to steal any of it. So let's just dive in and begin with some introductions. So Christy, would you like to start us off? Sure. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Christy Block. And uh, I'm a cisgender woman, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm a clinical speech pathologist and owner of New York Speech and Voice Lab in New York. Um, That's a um, private practice, um, sole practitioner. Uh, And uh, I have a background in various areas of communication. I... um, spent um, about 10 years in linguistics and English as a second language before I became a speech pathologist in 2002. Uh, My clinical focus uh, has been voice disorders and um, and now um, support for gender diverse speakers. And I'd like to say that I feel very lucky and honored to be serving the trans community. And I am so grateful that I get to continuously tinker on a daily basis with my long standing interest in language and gender and gender equity for all. Hooray. So um, when I'm not seeing clients, um, I'm writing or speaking or teaching on the area as we will hear from Lance Andy that they do much of as well. And recently I've been, um, involved in, um, the world professional association for transgender health, uh, and their subsidiary us path, uh, training in their global education initiative. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Okay. And so now we're ready to go over to Leah. Hello. My name is Leah Hallou. I'm also a cisgender woman and I use she, her pronouns. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh and also a voice specialized clinician. And at this stage in my career, my job is very heavily research focused. So I guess I'll start there. Um, At the broadest level, I study mind-voice pathways in basic, translational, and clinical science paradigms. 
and my research in the interplay of communication, identity, and stress dovetails really beautifully with my interests as a clinical voice pathologist. Um, and my interests there are in so-called functional voice disorders. I'm putting those in air quotes. <laughs> and of course, voice and communication for people along the gender spectrum. I've done some research specific to the trans population, but really my research is relevant to everyone irrespective of their gender identity. Uh, and work with trans and non-binary people is something I first started in 2002 under the mentorship of Joan Regnell at the George Washington University. And I've just never stopped. It's always somehow been woven into my clinical existence. It's just too cool. And um, I found that I kept building these mini practices in trans voice and communication. I was in Southern California and then in DC. And then finally, when I landed in Pittsburgh, it was at the UPMC Voice Center uh, where I was able to plant more of a lasting seed more formally. And much of my work otherwise has been pretty grassroots. Um, I spend an inordinate amount of time badgering local institutions, change their bathroom signs from five guys to, you know, major hospitals in my area, uh, doing a lot of informal and pro bono training and mentorship to other clinicians, especially if they have intersectional identities, uh, curating a referral database of providers and moderating an online group for speech pathologists and vocal coaches and other related providers who are interested in voice and communication along the, the gender spectrum, and then helping to facilitate some useful programming through that venue. I think that's, that's about it. I'm sure that was like the really brief summary points. I'm, I'm sure all of you had to work really hard to cram your incredible experience down into like a tiny little soundbite to give people just an idea of the type of work that each of you three are involved in. All right. And so now let's transition over to Sandy. Hello, Sandy. Hello, everyone. I'm Sandy Hirsch. Thank you so much, Leanne. I am also a cisgender woman and also use the pronouns she, her. I'm a speech language pathologist with a specialization in voice and I'm owner here in Seattle of Give Voice, sole proprietorship, just like Christy. Um, right now I'm in my 30th clinical year and have really worked across all areas. I haven't done cradle to the grave, but I've certainly done elementary to the grave. I've worked in inpatient and outpatient rehab in hospitals, and I've worked in home health and hospice and clinics, as well as the schools. Um, over 25 years of my uh, clinical work so far has been focusing on uh, the area of transgender voice and communication. And my practice as such is focused in that area, as well as accent modification and general voice and corporate speech pathology. So I train public speakers and I help people with interview skills and so forth. I'm also co-editor and author of all three editions of a textbook on voice and communication therapy for the transgender and gender diverse client. I would say I'm extremely proud and I would say also exhausted of my contribution to that work at this point. It's, it's, it's hard to write three editions. Uh, I've also contributed articles for special interest groups for ASHA and contributed to media. I've presented nationally and international, internationally on the subject of transgender voice and communication at the community and professional level. And I'm an active member of our local gender center here in Seattle, the Ingersoll Gender Center, which actually happens to be the oldest one in the country. Um, I'm a member of a women's business exchange. And when I'm not working, I sing in two choirs and I also sing uh, jazz uh, on my own. I garden, I cook, I knit. I'm a community activist and organizer, and I'm currently working towards ensuring that there is public school access to speech pathology services for trans-identifying students. Um, and I would say my professional passion and focus in working with people along the gender spectrum are really intimately married with having grown up moving many times and having bicultural parents. So I'm sort of what they call a third culture kid, which means I'm really never 
at home anywhere, but I'm at home everywhere, uh, which is something I think people along the gender spectrum experience a little bit. Um, and it's married to my and my initial degree in languages and my first career, which didn't last very long, in theater, all of which I bring to the clinical table every single day, which makes it really fun. Okay, so now I think the burning question on everybody's mind is, do any of you three sleep at night? Because you guys are so busy and so active and so involved in so many things. I'm just like, how do you guys get it all done? This is incredible. By not sleeping at night. No, just kidding. (laughs) I try to say the phrase work-life balance as much as I can to at least act like I care about that. But I am working on it. <laughs> I know. I'm not nearly as active as you three, and I struggle with work-life balance. So, oh, my goodness, you guys are my heroes. I've actually just ordered a book called Do Pause to learn a little bit more about work-life balance. <laughs> All right. Well, I would like to learn a lot more, not just a little bit, but a lot more about the seminar that brings the three of you together. So Leah, could you describe the seminar, please? Yeah, totally. Uh, We're hosted in Chicago at Roosevelt University, excuse me, which has an explicit social justice mission. So it's perfect for this seminar. We are now hosted by Dr. Barbara Zahora, who's an assistant professor of theater at Roosevelt. And it's just this gorgeous space uh, that looks out over the water, floor to ceiling glass. It's a beautiful, beautiful location for us. And by popular demand, the seminar has evolved to be a three-day workshop. We were shocked that anyone wanted to hear us talk more than we already were. Uh, that tries to touch on every major aspect of training, and I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, Really, we're looking at how can we maximize people's sense of congruence between who they are and how they communicate. And this is a fundamentally human endeavor. But of course, in this workshop, there's a special emphasis on trans and non-binary people. Um, We always have an on-site cohort and a web-based cohort. And this course is aimed at people with at least some clinical voice experience, although our feedback has been that even novices get a lot out of it. Um, And what I love about it is that even though Sandy and Christy and I are really strongly aligned, we're still individual clinicians who each honed their craft independently before there was ever a textbook on this topic or a workshop that we could go to. Um, So I think that we bring a fun diversity of perspective to the course. And plus, there's just always so much amazing expertise in the room that we try to also highlight. I think that is actually what we did with the extra the extra time we added in that third day. It isn't more of just us talking. It's actually trying to highlight the expertise that comes into the room with our registrants because there always is a ton. And we're really there trying to facilitate a conversation about this topic instead of just standing on some pedestal and expounding. Um, So while the format of the course does involve some seminar, there's lots of opportunities for practice. There's a fantastic curated collection of audio and video samples that center trans voices without tokenizing or putting anyone on the spot. Um, We do small group breakout sessions, plus we give out a ton of our personally crafted resources to attendees. And honestly, it is just so much fun for us. We have a blast. I bet you do. Like, that sounds like you're hitting all the bases because I know for me personally, I'm a learner who needs to experience and to try it out then, not just hear about something and be exposed to new information or ideas, but to have the opportunity to practice it there and get feedback on it, I think is a really great aspect of it and really helpful. I bet, yeah, I can see how you've gotten really good feedback on that aspect too. Um, So tell me about how you guys came together to offer this seminar. How did the three of you, I don't know, learn about each other? Because you're spread out all across the country. And like you've mentioned, um, you each came to learn about this service and provide this service kind of independently. So how did you guys meet and decide to offer this? Christy, that's you. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't make that very, very (laughs) flow-like. That's okay. Uh, I honestly can't remember exactly when I met Sandy 
and when I met Leah for the very first time. Uh, but we all kind of, at, at that stage of the game, kind of knew about each other uh, and each other's work. And uh, I had certainly been in contact a bit with uh, both of them. Uh, but, and they got together first to do uh, this course together. And I attended their two-person course uh, in two thir- 2013 when they came to New York. And it was just fantastic. They had a boatload of clinical ideas and big open hearts and they were fun. And after the whole course was over, we were having drinks and I was telling them that I had been planning on doing a similar course myself on my own. And I had asked them if they would be interested in joining forces. And fortunately they liked the idea. So they brought me on and uh, I think we've been doing a three since then. We've done three together as a threesome. And uh, you know, I've added mainly uh, content about uh, voices of people assigned female at birth. And I've also added my incredibly fabulous personality. <laughs> Thank you for letting me have a joke. Uh, I'm adding a joke because I do want to bring out the fact that Sandy and Leah really are funny and I'm pretty funny and we're pretty funny together. And we really work together well. It's been such a great time. And amidst all of the, the content, uh, I, I'm happy that uh, we've gotten good feedback from people that we try to keep it light and fun when we can. All right. That's awesome. I really like the idea, Christy, that you just, you know, went up to them and you, you told them, I'm interested in doing a course just like this. How about we join forces? Because I really like to promote that message that, you know, we are a community and we can band together when we have like goals in mind. And then that makes us stronger, makes us better. So I think that's really cool. I didn't know that. That's awesome. All right, so now we're moving on down. Let's go to Sandy. Sandy, can you tell me the purpose of this seminar? Um, When people sign up, what are they expecting to get out of it? And then what are you guys expecting people to get out of it? Like, what is your purpose for it? Yeah, you know, it's so great to be asked this question because we have to think about how to describe what we're doing. And because the small and big picture purposes are so obvious to us and maybe not to everyone. So I'm really grateful that you've asked that question. Uh, You know, when I taught a two day course by myself by invitation from another colleague in 2007, and the purpose at that time was really simple, which was to go to upstate New York and teach a group of about 20 clinicians how to do voice and communication therapy with transgender people. And then when Leah and I were invited actually by a colleague, John, uh, Jan Potter-Reed, to teach together in New York in 2013, I would say that the purpose was similar, although I think our broader view and questioning of what we were actually imparting about voice and identity and personal communication paths, which... I'm certain Leah will discuss in more detail here. I suspect she will. Started to develop more at that point. And then when Christy joined us, we set certain long-term goals. Uh, There was really relatively little access to voice and communication services for people along the gender spectrum at the time. And we wanted to train enough clinicians for there to be more access to skilled clinicians who could provide Uh, safe and sustainable approaches to voice and communication modification. In other words, to sort of uh, doing this, as Leah says, in air quotes, to decrease the winging it quotient in the work. 
when we hoped for a, a minimum five experts in every state of the U.S. And I will say we have vastly exceeded that goal in our trainings, but the need continues to increase exponentially. So our goal keeps growing. Um, we also wanted to develop a course that would educate people as best as we are able, honestly, as cisgender women, about how to support the individual personal needs of people along the gender spectrum. And it's our intention, uh, and I hope we're achieving it, to impart a combination of our accumulated voice clinical skills as well as a foundation in navigating the complex sort of ever-changing landscape of serving a population that has sought to, and it's thankfully starting to find, their own powerful personal voices. So I guess the bottom line really is that the work isn't cookie cutter and requires a great deal of clinical as well as emotional sensitivity and nuancing. And the purpose of our course is to dig really deep into that and guide participants in that whole learning process. Can I, can I add something there? I feel like a big dork. I'm raising my hand, but no one can see me. <laughs> um, on the heels of what Sandy just said, I'd love to mention something. Um, you know, when each of us started this work, it was almost good enough to be well-intended. I mean, if I'm honest, I feel like there's a little bit of a savior complex in our field. We all want to help people, and that is great, but it also can be problematic, especially because we really lack diversity at so many levels. And in the late 80s when Sandy started, and even in the early 2000s when I started, the trans population really lacked a, a coalesced identity. Back then, most of the people we saw were pursuing services because they'd reached some crisis moment, like, I'm going to come out of the closet, deal with this issue, and live my truth, or I'm not sure my life is worth living, right? And it was a very um, fraught um, coming out. But society has changed, and the internet has really offered people an opportunity to join up and, and uh, connect. And so trans and non-binary people have started to control their own story more. They're being celebrated in the public spotlight. There are happy stories being told by and about them. And they're raising their voices and saying, hey, stop talking for us. And here's how we expect to be treated. And so where the transgender existence in the public eye used to really center on people who were assigned male at birth who identified as women. Now there are so many trans men and non-binary people and people with other gender identities who are being seen more than ever in this society, at least. Um, not more than ever in history, but it's so beautiful to witness. And I want to pause on just to reflect on that beauty before I say that these changes make a lot of people in our country really uncomfortable. And so ironically, this progress has recently intersected in a really jarring way with a moment in time when it feels like much of society is trying to deny and strip away those gains. And trans and non-binary people and their allies are really furious about that, as we should be. So things are now so much more emotionally charged than they were when any of us started this work. And this context is so relevant to how we three and hopefully all speech pathologists are thinking about our role for trans and non-binary people, particularly if we identify as cisgender, as the majority of us do. So it's, it's definitely no longer sufficient to be well-intended. There are legitimate questions about how cis providers justify their work in this arena arena and lots of damage can be done by ignorance. Although I'll note that even if you don't damage your client with your ignorance, your role as a trans voice clinician might be short-lived if you don't show up as a legitimate and thoughtful and humble ally. Anyway, th that's a big hot topic, but I do think that the current social backdrop is really relevant to me and Christy and Sandy and how we um, think about how the purpose of our offering is evolving. I don't I don't want to see our field being dragged along reluctantly as society moves forward. I want us right up front helping to ease the way for the beauty of communicative diversity to emerge. And to that point, we're constantly brainstorming ways we can uh, keep fostering conversations about this thing that we love while balancing the scales of our own privilege and more and more trying to center voices other than our own. You know, do we 
Do we give a portion of registration fees to a pro-trans charity? Do we create a scholarship fund for minorities with intersectional identities to get training? Do we bring in new co-speakers, even though <laughs> the three of us are already enough cooks in the kitchen, for sure? We could we could maybe play like rock, paper, scissors and give one of us the boot every year to <laughs> bring somebody else in? Um, or do we just shut up and pack our bags and get off the stage altogether so that other people can move into the space that we developed. We don't know what the right move is, but these are conversations that we have. And so right now our goal is to remove all the binary frameworks from our workshop. Like for instance, this talking about masculine voice and feminine voice just reinforces that binary. It sounds like a little thing, but it's actually pretty huge. And so we're trying to navigate this shifting landscape and trying to be allies and, and honestly just hoping we get it right more than we don't. But um, <laughs> Um, do you mind if I jump in here, Leanne? No. Oh, absolutely, Sandy. Please do. <laughs> well, by now you may have realized that even though we we appear different in our bio pictures, we're actually one brain with a few differences. Wait a <laughs> second. That perfect setup, Leah. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, because of what you just said, I, I just have to underscore the, the, the area of this work that I try and uh, highlight the most in the workshop and the area of the work that I'm, I, th I think, really most passionate about right now in working with trans and non-binary people is providing them with very, very specific acoustic tools in order to play their instrument in whatever way they want. And I have clients who come to me with three or four vocal goals and want to develop a voice for multiple scenarios in order to honor the many facets of themselves. And they ask me, is that possible? And I say, absolutely, let's get to work once we've established their goals and you know necessary benchmarks and so forth. And so as Leah said, what we're trying to do is sort of help ease the way for that communicative diversity rather than continuing to talk about a binary paradigm. I just love that communicative diversity that you use there, Leia. And so in that regard, the, the excuse me, the focus in our voice and communication work overall is shifting more and more away from this par binary paradigm to from my perspective anyway, so it's more of an instrumental, purely paradigm within the framework of everything else that we're teaching so that people feel freed up to evolve and shift and morph and find their sort of vocal home or homes by learning how to take full advantage of a range of vocal tools, really. I love that. And, hmm. Leah, did you want to? Yes, Chris, did you have something you wanted to add? Yes, I, I, uh, I love what both of them are saying. I, uh, I think that the shift in our thinking and the constant shift in our thinking and approach to our work um, and who we are as providers. I'd like to talk a little bit about how that is happening on a broader scale by other providers in the trans wellness community too. Uh, it's an exciting time and it's a trying time. Um, there's a lot of healing that has to be done in the trans health of trans wellness community um, to make up for a long-standing history of substandard care, lack of respect for patients and clients, uh, gatekeeping by uh, providers, keeping people from uh, getting care um, based on their own views of what they should and shouldn't get, and pathologizing trans identity uh, these are really big things that have happened for a long time that are now just changing. And it's an, it's understandable that there is a mistrust 
of clients, um, uh, by clients of cisgender providers uh, based on that history. Um, there's been um, a rightfully uh, cleaning of house of uh, some really toxic work like conversion therapy. Um, but there's also uh, mistrust sometimes of bona fide allies who are doing really good work. Uh, and on another front, there are some transgender identified providers who are wrongfully viewed as untrustworthy um, in that they're thought to not be able to have an objective viewpoint. That a parent of a trans kid, you know, they think the trans provider is just going to try to make them trans. Um, so this kind of lack of trust or misunderstanding, this uh, expecting a trans-identified provider to lack clinical skills or uh, a cisgender provider to lack cultural humility. Uh, so many people feel attacked from the outside, from the inside, yet we all want to push the work forward. Um, so yeah, it's really uh, an interesting time. So what's being done? Uh, WPATH, you know, has standards of care. Um, now uh, they're working on the eighth version. Um, the guidelines for what is appropriate care for trans and non-binary people. And more and more, it's being directed towards empowerment and diversity. Um, and voice is becoming a bigger part of that as well. Uh, I was at US Path a couple weeks ago, and there were lots of discussions, um, long discussions, sometimes heated, about who's the leadership of WPATH. WPATH is only a couple years old, actually. And um, most of the board members are, are trans identified, but that wasn't always the case. Uh, and it's, it uh, is also a very white um, leadership. Christy, um, may I ask you a question quickly? Yeah. Um, did you mean, mean to say that US Path is only a couple of years old? I'm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You said W Path. I think you meant US Path, yeah? Thank you. Yeah, w, WPATH has been around since the 70s. Right. Uh, it's changed its name uh, somewhere along the line. But thank you for that, Sandy. Yeah, US PATH. WPATH is this, um, you know, it's interesting that trans health started as this worldwide thing and it's now becoming more regional in terms of leadership. And um, so now there are these regional subsidiaries and US PATH is now one of the smaller regional groups. Um, and one, I think it's safe to say, one of the more forward thinking um, groups so far. Uh, so uh, so included in that are, were these discussions uh, a couple weeks ago at the conference uh, about how to always have the programming be affirming care for trans people. That's hard to believe that that has to be discussed at this point, but it is. Uh, it does, uh, or efforts to uh, bring in the forefront how to how to help the people who are most at risk in the community, um, and how the conference should be run, how to make it affordable, uh, how to is should there be a community board? Uh, sh what should should W or sorry US Path be um, just a provider organization? And should the conference be just science-based, provider-based, or should it be about lived experience? So just the, the idea of what is the conference, what is the group um, about? And um, I think it's, it's like that because it's just about being inclusive. So I'm mentioning all of this because... I think it's important for us as voice clinicians to understand how a lot of the same thinking is going on all around us. 
uh, by other providers. And it's so good to learn what other providers are thinking and doing and, and people uh, in the community that we might not um, uh, be face, face-to-face with. Um, and then how do we fit in? Uh, I think one of the biggest issues right now in that context is creating a bigger voice for voice in the trans health community, teaching other providers about what we do. It's an ongoing struggle uh, that I, I personally have been trying to chip away at. So that's what I have to say. All right, um, Christy, I just have one question. You mentioned um, pathologizing trans identity. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Can you describe and explain that concept? That's kind of the first time I'm hearing each of those words put in that context. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the idea that transgender identity is a disorder or a problem. And um, as opposed to just a different way of being normal, uh, a different way of uh, experiencing life. And so that um, intervention for somebody is really about helping them um, navigate their daily lives uh, and deal with the stressors associated with um, with their identity, and it's not within, but it's the stressors that other people bring to the table in interpreting and uh, interpreting people and treating mistreating them. Um, and of course, there's the the whole sensory uh, physical aspect of being um, uh, experiencing. Um, your body and your identity in this incongruous way. And that, that is all about uh, reshaping and um, transforming instead of fixing. Okay. Thank you. All right. Um, I had a question and then it fluttered right back out of my brain again. Um, each of you have mentioned about having um, cultural competence and humility. And for somebody who is moving in the direction where they want to provide these services, but they're identifying a cisgendered woman, um, how can they expand their perspective and gain that? Um, do you guys have any recommendations for folks? Do you want me to start? Absolutely, Sandy, please do. Uh, I think that we probably all have the same answer and different things to add as well, but uh, joining local groups, community groups, going to conferences and listening, reading everything you can get your hands on, um, asking lots of questions of people in the community because you want to learn. When going to community groups, sit and listen. Don't try and add anything. Just sit and listen and soak up what you're hearing. Um, I mean, there, there are lots and lots of things to read these days um, and joining the necessary associations so that you can read the necessary journals and so forth is, is really important. But there's nothing like actually um, going to a support group or going to a meeting so that you can listen to people's voices who are trans-identified speak their truth. Although also, if I can add to that, you know, that even entering into someone's space like a support group as a cis person can be problematic. And I, more and more, I really love entering into um, spaces that trans people are creating, not wherein they're seeking support from members of their community, but where they're shining. And so I follow a number of trans and non-binary people on Instagram and, um, Honestly, that's a great way to just 
kind of be a fly on the wall and see, you know, a, a great person to follow is Jeffrey Marsh. Um, I think their handle is the the Jeffrey Marsh or Jacob Tobiah or Alok Menon. Uh, these people have um, Instagram accounts where they're just proud and beautiful and strong and awesome. And that's really where they deserved. That's the space and the spirit with which they deserve to be seen. And one of the things that I think that non-binary people are um, really bringing into this conversation in a new way, maybe, um, is, is forwarding this um, challenge to beauty norms. So uh, historically, I would say that trans men and women, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, in general, to be out and be safe, had to try to kind of fit with the binary. And people are um, now really just like, well, forget that. I don't care about that. That's not what's important to me. And so to see people who are so beautifully settled into their own non-binary existence can frankly be challenging to the sensibilities of someone who is conditioned by the binary, like a lot of cis people have been. And so just being an observer um, through social media, I think is very has been a really powerful way for me to learn and to sit with my own biases and my own, um, you know, implicit biases that kind of sneak up on me, and and I go, whoa, what's what's with that? I got to unpack that response I had to seeing this video or something. Um, I think you make some really good points there, Leia. And uh, yes, I think the more we can. Um, well, not just support, but be aware of um, art and writing and music and all aspects of the joy, um, you know, the better we will all be educated about the everyday living and the evolution of, of where we are. You know, living in Seattle... I am lucky to be able to witness people living however they want to live, you know, everywhere, just walking down Fourth Avenue on my way to work. And uh, people dressing in whatever way and expressing themselves in whatever they, way they want. Um, that's a good point. And, you know, I want to go back to what you said about entering the support group space. Um, you're absolutely right. And um, I used to go to support groups more than I do now, and I'm and because I'm part of the consult group, which is the which is professionals, many of which are uh, trans identified. Um, that's another way that I continue to learn. There are so many avenues if you start going down them, and doors to open and ways to learn, as you pointed out, Leah. Yeah, I'd like to add. Um uh, to that. Yeah. I, I, I really think that there's no excuse at this point. There is so much information now. Um, yeah. Books, uh, films. I mean, they're not all great, but they're getting better. Uh, and right. Following people, uh, on social media, community conferences, my, uh, the best way, the biggest way, that I started getting involved in the community is an enormous community conference near me called Philadelphia Trans Wellness Conference. And uh, community conferences are so great to learn about, uh, you know, all the different kinds of services that people have can get access to, but also being in these um going to talks that are about lived experiences and the kinds of discussions people are having uh, amongst themselves. And it, it is, um, it's, that's been um, the one place at the Philly conference that has been uh, very, an integral part of my education that, and I continue to uh, try to be a part of that every year. And I know Sandy's is gender odyssey and we all have our, our pet uh, conferences we like 
Um, but uh, I, I really, I'm happy to say that I'm seeing more uh, voice clinicians uh, in Philly, uh, but we want more, 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 more. Show up. I wanted just to take a moment to um, highlight a really fabulous uh, project that's been ongoing for a number of years now up at the University of Victoria in Canada uh, called Moving Trans History Forward. And that was developed by a colleague, Aaron DeVore, who's a trans man. Um, and he's a chair of the only special, I mean, specialized, individualized trans chair in a university in the world, actually, at this point. And it's um, a really fabulous resource as well that is run and um, attended by 98% people on the, along the gender spectrum. It's a really fantastic resource. Thank you. Um, I'll be sure to try to look up some information on that and um, post that in the show notes so that people can go there and kind of find all these amazing resources and ideas um, that each of you have provided so that if they're interested in learning more, then they can keep digging deeper into this topic. So thanks. Um, what else would you guys like to cover today? Um, any other important points that were on your minds to share? Are we just wrapping up now at this point, Leanne, do you think? We're um, getting close to that point. We have, we have a little bit of time. Did you have any burning questions? Well, um, way back when, when you were describing how you're shifting away from um, talking about, um, you know, achieving a, a feminine voice or a masculine voice, you're, you're leaving the binary. Can you give some more specific examples of how you've shifted that when you're um, discussing it in your seminar or, I don't know, even with your own patients that you see um, who come in there and maybe they're like, you know, hello, I would like a feminine voice. And you're like, well, let's talk about the gender spectrum. Like, how, how do you guys think that? What is that in you know reality? Yeah. So to clarify, that's a goal for our upcoming workshop is to see if we can go through our materials and strip away as much of the binary as possible in terms of reinforcing, okay, we're going to talk about um, trans men and then we're going to talk about trans women, for instance. We're just kind of feel like we're ready to try to move past that. You know, I had a, a client tell me several years ago and it, it really resonated. It was a great learning moment for me. Uh, she said she didn't identify as trans. She, I would have, would have referred to her, her as a trans woman. And I said, oh, you don't, that's so interesting. Uh, can you tell me more about that? And she said, well, trans is these prefix that you cis people add on to the word woman to clarify that I'm not your kind of woman. I'm not the same as you. I'm different. And um, she said, some people want to wave a trans flag for themselves and other people don't. I, I don't. I just see myself as a woman. Um, I don't see myself as trans. You see me as trans. You need to clarify the, the broader you. Uh, you know, society needs to clarify that I'm this kind of woman. And it hit me over the head like, yeah, duh, of course. And it started really making me wonder, um, it, it, it really inspect for myself, how am I reinforcing the binary? Um, how am I contributing to some of the the challenges that I, as an ally, uh, as I'm trying to be an ally, I'm trying to help minimize those challenges, but it, it showed me a blind spot in my own thinking. And so, um, you know, the stuff that I imagine we'll try to do away with is stuff that does reinforce the binary as opposed to just talking about, listen, there are tools in your tool belt and we do already talk about it this way. I think we just want to be, uh, perhaps more explicit in our modeling that we don't have to frame everything within a binary framework. Um, but there are tools in your tool belt. Sometimes there is value to you in being highly feminine uh, and sometimes there's not. Um, sometimes there's value uh, to pulling out more uh, traditionally masculine um, or stereotypically masculine behaviors and sometimes it's not. And 
if you have them all in your tool belt, then you can pull them out and mix and match as you need. And that's, that's really what's important if, if that uh, answers your question. Yeah. I like, I like what Leah said about, um, yeah, tool belt. And it's, it's not that we are able to do away with people's perceptions where we have to manage other people thinking about feminine and masculine and, oh, oh, what they're expecting people to uh, behave like. It's more about staying away from the idea of the feminine voice, the masculine voice, one way uh, to do this, one way to do that, and no, no other ways. And, and thinking of how it intersects with our, uh, all of the various roles we play. What's our age? What's our job? Uh, who are we talking to? Um, you know, all of the different factors that come into play in a communication situation and just becoming strategic about how you're communicating in that way. What, gen what, what uh, way does gender, in what way does gender play a role in situation X versus situation Y? Um, so uh, I feel like thinking of the binary is more just thinking of things um, in a static way um, that is really not how communication works. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, uh, yes, I, I've started doing something um, I'm calling the cafe line test with my clients, which is basically getting them to close their eyes and listen to their own voice and say, okay, who do you see? Like if you were standing behind yourself in a cafe line and heard yourself talking, who do you see? And so they have to decide who they're seeing and whether that's who they want to see. And if that's not who they want to see, then we go to the tool belt and say, all right, what do you need in your tool belt to see this person you want to see? And uh, that kind of takes away the question of uh, the binary or non-binary as well. It puts it more into the full spectrum of communication and context and mood and time of day and who we're talking to and so forth. But it also puts the client completely in the driver's seat in terms of them taking responsibility for what it is they want out of their communication. And it has helped some of my clients have said, you know, having to do this exercise has helped me clarify what I actually want in my communication. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that, that whole idea of equipping your client to get in the driver's seat and to take ownership over the process that they're embarking on with you is I is huge. That's how I feel like patient or clients make progress. So, okay, well, we are at time. So now we are a hundred percent ready for our wrap up. So is this where Christy has some parting thoughts or each of you have um, a closing statement or concept that you want to share with our listeners today? Um, well, I'll, I'll just say something really briefly. And that is, you know, I, I think we've tried to convey the many delicate threads that run through the tapestry of our work, you know, when we're doing voice and communication, training with people along the gender spectrum. And that we truly do bring all of our humanity and all of ourselves, all of ourselves, clinically, creatively, and artistically, and by now you know politically and socially to this particular table. And it's endlessly rewarding. And there's never a dull moment. So thank you so much. What do you, what do you think, Christy or Leah? Well, I, I think uh, it's, it's clear that we, we agree, the three of us agree on, on um, so much of this and are coming from 
even though we all have our own experiences, we're really um, approaching this uh, in in the same general way. So uh, I feel, and I think it's probably safe to say it's true for Leah and Sandy too, that what's driven me in this work uh, is the idea that society has put us all in this unfair position of managing gender. And, you know, I say unfair in to mean not always accurate uh, and also creating different levels of power dynamics between groups of people, women and men, um, women more than men, trans people more than cis people. We, you know, some much more than others. And how do we each relate to this issue? Uh, how do we relate to it as, a pe as people, as humans, as clinicians? I think uh, helping speakers along the gender spectrum is about facilitating resilience. Uh, how do we do that? We help them manage these gender expectations, these unfair expectations, and try to deal with all of those possible microaggressions that we ourselves have been through or cannot possibly imagine. Um, there are some commonalities and there are some major differences that we need to respect. So uh, I think as the field moves forward, I try to guide my own thinking and leadership. And I, Leah and I and Sandy and I, we've all talked about this, how you know, we want to just do the best job we can as providers and allies. And uh, I feel no matter what identity or lived experience a person has, we all have the potential to be a great clinician, uh, but it takes a huge amount of work. And, you know, so much clinically to learn um, and being culturally humble. And to get there to a point where you... You think, okay, I've got it, got this. Uh, you're right away going, okay, there's more to learn, or oh, I didn't know that, or oh, yeah, I messed up there, and oh, that's something new. There are so many changes. Uh, so we just constantly have to be open to developing forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, what she said. Leah, did you have anything that you'd like to add before we wrap up and finish? And ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That is all. Thank you, but I will refrain from saying more. I agree. I think those are great points. All right, super. Well, I just want to thank each of you so much for your thorough and thoughtfulness in approaching this topic and, and what you provide in the seminar and then in what you do in your daily practice and in your, in your workspace. So I am so grateful that you've come on the podcast to share that. And then now we can share it with everyone else who can tune in and listen. So thank you very, very much. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. This is a really great offering that you're giving to, and we appreciate it. Do you know what you're doing next summer? I do. I'm presenting awesome medical-focused SLP CEUs on an Alaskan cruise with SpeechTherapyPD.com. From July 10th to the 17th of 2020, we're offering 12 hours of CEUs during a seven-day cruise through the Alaskan and Canadian coast. Check out speechtherapypd.com slash cruise to learn more and sign up. I hope to see you there.
the show notes at speechuncensored.com are available for your perusal with links to the resources mentioned by Christy, Leah, and Sandy. And once again, a huge dose of gratitude to my three incredible guests for their passion, eloquence, technical knowledge, and compassion. It was a real treat to coordinate this episode with them and get the opportunity to shine a light on the work that they're involved in. Next week's guest on the Speech Uncensored podcast is Marisha McGordy of the SLP Now podcast. If you work in the PEDS world or school-based setting, then I think it's a pretty good chance you've probably heard of her, especially since she's the host of the popular SLP Now podcast. Marisha is coming on this podcast to talk about transitioning from the medical field to the pediatric or school setting. (gasps) Can you believe? Why would anyone leave our treasured medical setting? (laughs) But seriously, it happens and I want to equip you with tools to make that transition with as little pain as possible. Hence, Marisha. It's been a little while since I've thanked listeners in a specific geographic area. And it's time for me to do that again. And today's shout out goes to Germany. Yes, the whole country. Deutschland gets all the glory today because they're listening and learning in a second language or third or fourth. And that just blows my mind, friends. So mad props to my bilingual and multilingual international listeners. Also, it's Germany and not like all the other umpteen countries uh, with listeners because Germany has the highest percentage of listeners whose primary language is not a version version of English. So, you know, guten tag. Oh, wait, what's thank you? Why can't I think of thank you in German? I feel like I say it all the time. Maybe it's gesundheit. No, that's the word I'm thinking of. That's not thank you. Obviously, that's not thank you. Okay, so anyway, now it's time for you to get out there and nourish and flourish. I think you're incredible, and the work that you do matters. I'm so proud of the positive impact you have in your patients' and clients' lives. Thanks for listening.